from NPM, the National Association of Pastoral Musicians. This is episode 126 of Ministry Monday. Ministry Monday is a weekly podcast about music, ministry, and liturgy, produced by the National Association of Pastoral Musicians, or NPM. What is NPM? NPM is a national association that fosters the art of musical liturgy. The members of NPM serve the Catholic Church in the United States as musicians, clergy, liturgists, and other leaders of prayer. For more information, go to npm.org forward slash join. Have a question? Email us anytime at ministrymonday at npm.org. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Ministry Monday. I'm your host, Amanda Bruce. Now, I want to bring your attention to something that we've been working on here at Ministry Monday. With 126 episodes now and counting, Ministry Monday has a strong history of giving you episodes with valuable content by leaders in pastoral music. But with 126 episodes, I want to make sure that it's easily accessible for you. And so we have created a Series and Themes tab on the Ministry Monday website. Series and Themes groups together episodes of various topics and hopefully allows for easy access on some of our most popular, most valuable episodes, which I think actually gives me a great transition for our episode today. Today, I'm honored to share one of the recorded sessions from NPM's virtual convention this year. The following session was one of four sessions in NPM's Black Lives Matter series during the convention, led by an incredible team across the span of the week. Two of these sessions, along with other topics celebrating the Black Catholic community, can be found in the series and themes area of Ministry Monday's website. We are proud to celebrate Black Catholic voices, and we'll continue to share what we can, listen, and learn so that we can all truly be at the table together. The Celebrating Black Voices series, along with other series and themes, can be found on Ministry Monday's website at ministrymonday.org forward slash series. Our presenters for today's presentation and recording are the following. Ms. Lene Gray, who is the Music Ministry Director at St. Anthony of Padua Church in Washington, D.C., as well as the Chair for NPM's African American Musicians Interest Section. Dr. Kathleen Dorsey Bellow, who is the Director for the Institute for Black Catholic Studies at Xavier University. Ms. Valerie Lee Jeter, who is the Music Director at St. Vincent de Paul Church in Philadelphia with an M.A. in Liturgical Studies and a member of NPM's Board of Directors. Dr. Kim Harris, who is an Assistant Professor of African American Thought and Practice in the Department of Theological Studies at Loyola Marymount University. And last but not least, Mr. M. Roger Holland II, Composer and Teaching Assistant Professor in Music and Religion 
and director of the Spirituals Project at the Lamont School of Music at the University of Denver. Now, the first voice you will hear today is Lene Gray, followed by Dr. Kathleen Dorsey-Bello. Dr. Kathleen provides a thorough, incredibly valuable resource that is discussed during this recording near the end of the episode. You can find this resource list, as well as any other additional information, by checking out the show notes of this episode at ministrymonday.org. Welcome, everyone, for joining us tonight. Thank you so much for joining us for this conversation and this breakout we have a wonderful, fabulous panel with us tonight. And so I just wanna take a minute and introduce everyone who is here on the panel tonight to talk, to sit, to reflect. And uh, first, I would like to introduce Dr. Kathleen Dorsey-Bello, who is the Director of the Institute for Black Catholic Studies at Xavier University of Louisiana. We have Ms. Lene Gray, who is the Music Ministry Director at St. Anthony of Padua Church in Washington, DC, as well as the Chair for NPM's African-American Musicians Interest Section. We have Dr. Kim Harris, who is the Assistant Professor of African-American Thought and Practice in the Department of Theological Studies at Loyola Marymount University. We have Roger Holland, or I should say Mr. M. Roger Holland II, who is a composer and teaching Assistant Professor in Music and Religion, and the Director of the Spirituals Project at the Lamont School of Music, University of Denver. And then finally, we have Ms. Valerie Lee Jeter, who is the Music Director at St. Vincent de Paul Church, Philadelphia, with a Master's in Arts and Liturgical Studies, and a member of NPM's Board of Directors. So without further ado, I am so thrilled. Thank you for being here tonight. Take it away, my fabulous people. Good evening. And and welcome to this session on Black Lives Matter to the Church, receiving the gift of Blackness, and I add on, giving the gift of Blackness to our Catholic Church. You might want to know exactly why is this so important? What was the momentous occasion that sparked this entire conversation? Well, in 1969, one of the, a very momentous and historic event took place. It was in 1969 that Pope Paul VI, the first Pope to visit the continent of Africa, went and visited and was invited to speak at a symposium. And part of that was not just to speak and give encouragement to the, to the Ugandan people, but to continue to be a vehicle of peace, a vessel, vessel of peace. Prior to that, in 19... 64, and after that, or before that, excuse me, in 1964, Pope Paul VI had canonized 22 Ugandan martyrs. And that was the first relationship that he had with the people of Uganda. It had taken place in St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, Italy. But nonetheless, it began a conversation, it began a connection, it began a relationship with the people of Uganda. He was quite impressed with their their tenacious spirit of assuring that the, the martyrs that had died for the faith were recognized in the universal church. Time went on, and in 1969, when many of us may have been born, may not have been born, but certainly knew about this event, it was then that, that Pope Paul VI visited Uganda for the first time officially 
And if you've never seen any of the clips and have never seen any of the footage, it was historical, it was memorial, it was a memorial, memorial uh, event. The people of Africa showed up. At this point, there were at least 3 million Catholics that, had, that were present in the continent of Africa. And so it was a very Catholic populated country. Dancing was going on, drumming was going on. So you can imagine our Holy See getting off the plane and seeing such joy and seeing such a celebratory spirit. He celebrated mass. And it was an African mass that he was celebrating, not European music, but that from the culture of Africa, which included the dancing, the drumming, all that was indigenous to the people of Africa. And it was that spirit that enlightened his heart. It was that spirit that gave joy to his heart. And it was that spirit in which he, he came to the people of Africa and during his homily offered this gift and these words of encouragement. And I quote, the expression that is the language, the mode of manifesting this one faith may be manifold. Hence, it may be original, suited to the tongue, the style, the character, the genius and the culture of one who professes this one faith. You will be capable of bringing to the Catholic Church the precious and original contribution of blackness, which she particularly needs in this historic hour. And then this historic hour was just a continuation of what John, St. John Paul, St. Pope John the 23rd in 1962 did when he convened the Second Vatican Council. That was a momentous occasion for the Catholic Church because for the first time we were to embrace various cultures. We were to embrace a different style of prayer. We were to engage and enter into our liturgies in a different tongue. Were there challenges? Most definitely. But the fact that Pope Paul VI gave the charge, he issued a call to the people of Africa when he said to those in Kampala, Uganda, and I quote, you are now missionaries to yourselves. You must now give your gifts of blackness to the whole church. What does that mean for us? We were given a call, we were given a charge. What happens when the same church that you are wanting to give your, your gifts to does not see the gifts, does not respect the gifts, does not acknowledge the gifts, does not receive particularly the gifts with an open hand, an open heart and an open and willing spirit. That was the challenge. But nonetheless, the call was given. As time went on, did the charge go? No, the charge was very present. In the pastoral letter on evangelization, what we have seen and heard that was crafted by the black bishops, and there were 10 black bishops at that time of the USCCB, they drafted this letter. And then this letter for the first time was the same quote that Pope, John, Pope Paul VI gave to us. 
that we are to share our gifts of blackness. But it was recognized that in fact, this was not an easy charge. For you cannot accept at times what you do not understand. So what came from that, what we have seen in her document in 1984, was the education of what our gifts are. Every culture has a different spirituality. We are one church. We have one God. But every culture has a different way of expressing their spirituality. What are the inherent characteristics of black, black spirituality? Number one, it is contemplative according to what you will find in the what we have seen and heard document. And I quote, it is contemplative. That means every place is a place for prayer for us. In the black community, we are thankful for even waking up and acknowledging the fact that the blood that runs through our veins is not from something that we did, but something that the good Lord blessed us with. We take time to stop and openly pray and thank God for the blessings that he's bestowed upon us. It is holistic. We are not ashamed of our emotions or how we use our entire bodies to enter into worship, to enter into praise, to enter into the presence of the Lord. Every part of our body is a vehicle through which prayer comes forth. It is joyful, it is celebratory, with movement and in rhythm, in feeling and in thanksgiving. And I know that uh, Dr. Kathleen will speak about this. We are communitarian people. We do our best. We are part of a community. It is inherent for us to be a part of a community. But what does it mean to receive this gift? I like to liken this whole spirit and this whole journey of receiving cultural gifts to a tapestry that is made up of various threads. And we're not talking about your favorite tapestry that has just your single one color. If your favorite color is purple, we're not talking using all purple. We're talking about creating a rainbow of threads. And these threads within our tapestry with this close knit, which is closely locked together, represents our ways in which we pray, our various gifts, the cultures, all that we come in this universal church. Universality does not mean uniformity or conformity. Yes, we have the right, but what we have given, been given to do with this wonderful ritual, which has been around and in existence for thousands of years, is the way to fuse our, and permission, and call, and response to create this tapestry out of our cultural presence. In 1989, if you've not, not ever seen the footage of the address that was given and offered by Sister Thea Bowman, I think it, it speaks so profoundly of what can happen and what is needed and where we are in our church. The not understanding of cultural gifts because of not understanding. She said, and she was charged in 1989, and Sister Thea Bowman, if you don't know her, a great saint, up for canonization, she's up, you know, a great presence and pioneer of, black, of the Black faith and the black, black theology. She was a Franciscan Sisters of Perpetual Adoration. 
and in her address to the United States Catholic Bishop. Her quest was to talk about what it meant to be Black and Catholic. And very clearly, she stopped for a moment and she just sang, sometimes I feel like a motherless child. And as you heard her sing this, you heard her anguish. You heard her pain of being in a land that is not your own, but wanting to know why it was permission had been given, call had been given, response of what we are to do had been given, but nonetheless our gifts had not been received or acknowledged. And I quote, she shared what it meant to be Black and Catholic. It means that I come to my church fully functioning. I bring myself, my Black self, all that I am, all that I have, all that I hope to become. I bring my whole history, I bring my traditions, my experience, my culture, my African-American song and dance and gesture and movement and teaching and preaching and healing and responsibility as gifts to the church. And I end quote. So do you see that this 1969 visit of Pope Paul VI to the people of Uganda was very historic. It was historic because it was one of the first times that a, a, a pope had said openly and been very clear that we are to share our gifts of blackness. Are we ready to receive them? Are we ready to accept them? Are we ready to acknowledge them? the charge has been given and with that being said i'd love my my seed of wisdom in this journey and in my quest of understanding has been dr kathleen bellow so i ask that she would share the knowledge that she has her wisdom with us here we are in another moment with all the authorization from the church, from Vatican Council II, from the popes, from our black bishops, from all the many documents of the church that have spoken about the sin of racism. Here today, we again confront the church with the affirmation that black lives matter. And we wonder if the church is actually ready to receive the gift of blackness. And I think it's still a struggle. Uh, we look at what are the gifts of blackness? And we know that uh, black life, black life begins in Africa. And those of us in the United States have learned uh, very negative things about Africa. Uh, we consider the dark continent. We consider it to be very primitive, uh, a culture based on the oral tradition, not the literary tradition. And so we've had many missionaries and other Europeans visit Africa and make their own interpretations of African culture. And many concluding that Africa has 
no culture to share with the world. So uh, we, we begin ourselves as black Catholics with that understanding that our culture is unnoticed, underappreciated, misunderstood, mislabeled. It did not give us a strong foundation on which to build our African-American identity. We built our culture using our African roots, the traditional religions of Africa that traveled with us, the culture that traveled with us through the Middle Passage, through slavery. Catholicism grew in the United States, in the Black community, uh, particularly in the South, where Catholicism was strong. Father Cyprian Davis tells us that early on in the 15th, 16th century, there are baptism records of Black Catholics who were baptized in Florida. There are baptisms of Black peoples in, Louis in uh, Los Angeles. So the roots of our faith are, are very strong, but we don't know the roots of our faith ourselves. We're just learning now as African scholars begin to tell their own stories of African life. So the interpretations of others who came and looked at the expressions of culture and made their own interpretations are now being expressed and explained by Africans themselves. And we're getting a much clearer picture then of who, uh, of what our African heritage is. I remember as a child being taught by the sisters that Africans were heathens. They celebrate, they worship uh, more than one God. That was the definition of heathens, of pagans. They worship more than one God. And so now again, as African scholars, African theologians, African historians are writing their own stories, we come to see that the foundations of African traditional religion, very close, they're very close, uh, closely connected to what we celebrate and what we believe as Black Catholics. It's the understanding of the culture. It's the reaching across. It's the going back. It's the Sankofa that helps us to go back to understand the roots of our faith that allowed us to survive the crossing over, the enslavement, and all of the, the indignities of life from our arrival in the United States until this very day. And so as we turn to the church to stamp our feet again and to say Black lives do matter, we are called as Black Catholics to learn about our faith. We have practiced as Black Catholics for many, many years. We have a history. Uh, we practiced the faith and we made it our own. We didn't talk about our history, we didn't study our culture, but we lived it. And what we lived was expressed through the Catholic faith. So as a people, we are as Catholic as anybody else. We have got to find our own expressions. We've got to be able to explain, we've got to be able to live out authentically 
who we are as God's black beloved. That's our homework. That's our homework. In terms of the church, there's a real need to readjust what Catholicism is. When we start uh, to understand the faith, uh, we, we go back to the people want to go back to the good old days. The good old days of early church in Acts. And that was not in Europe. Wasn't in Europe for many, many years. African roots of Catholicism uh, are very, very much described in history. And so those who have claimed Catholicism and described Catholicism as a white church, as a European church, as a European American church, have really confiscated for themselves something that does not belong to them. From the beginning, from the beginning, the mandate was to go out and make disciples, to go out into the world to make disciples. And there were no tears, first class, second class citizens. But somehow we have gotten ourselves into that situation. And so today, as we look at where we are after all these years in the church, when we look at all the documents that have been written and contain such lovely language, such polite words, we know that uh, it's going to take more than documents in order to be the church that Christ calls us to be. We, first off, uh, we need to understand clearly what culture is. We tend to judge culture from its expressions. And so black people are admired for our dance and our music, our, our song, our uh, sense of style, our spirituality. But that's the tip of the iceberg. It's what's under those expressions that really describe who we are as a people. And Ms. Lene began to give us some hints about spirituality. Spirituality lies under those expressions of dance and music. So while you may appreciate Black music, while you may appreciate Black dance, you, to really appreciate what it means, you have to go underneath to understand the history, the experience of the people from whom it proceeds, the, the, the sense of sacred that is, that is different, values that are different, worldview. These are all components of culture that we have not really investigated, that we have not uh, paid attention to while we're looking on the surface. Black culture, uh, so many times uh, I've gotten into arguments with some of our dear clergymen who profess that Black Catholics are more Protestant than we are Catholic. So Father, where, how do you base that? Listen to the music that you sing. What you sing is Protestant music. You sing Protestant music more than you sing the Catholic hymn. Well, when we really investigate and we understand that Black song, Black sacred music belongs to all Black people. So no matter our denomination, that is our cultural heritage. We're going to be singing out of our experience. 
that music expresses our spirituality. It expresses our view of a world in which God is in charge, not any men. It expresses our sense of the sacred. It expresses our values that when you worship, you use everything. You clap, you move, you tap your feet, you just sit back and, and, and you rest in the rhythm. So uh, part of what we've got to do, I believe as a church, is to understand the concept of culture. Pope Francis in his Joy of the Gospel speaks clearly about the right of every people to develop their own culture, that every people has a culture that was given them by God. Pope Francis puts us on the, on the right place. That joy of the gospel is so very rich for people who want to understand the cultural divide and want to figure out how, how we bridge it so that we can be a whole and, and healthy church. We've got to understand that all of us are made in the image and likeness of God. And that the fact that I'm a black woman born in Baltimore to the Dorsey family was not my doing, was not my plan. God planted me there. And God planted me there as a black woman, as a Dorsey in Baltimore to be part of a plan for salvation, each of us individually and each of us as a community of people when we are true to ourselves when we understand who we are when we understand whose we are can cooperate so much um, fully so much more fully with god's plan with christ's mandate that we are one church as a church we are sent to be missionary to take our gifts blackness the gifts of blackness are not just for black people. The gifts of blackness are certainly to build us as a community, but our gifts of blackness are meant to share with the community at large. And we can see that happening in this Black Lives Matter movement. It started very small and has grown now to the point where people are beginning to understand the injustices of our community that affect not only those on the margins, but affect those of the dominant culture as well. They are not living the fullness of life that God wants for us because they live in a world that is dominated by whiteness. And so our gift right now as black people is to articulate for ourselves, to live out for ourselves what it means to be authentically Black and truly Catholic. More than a motto, as Brian Massingale says, it sounds nice, but are we truly authentically Catholic and truly Black? In the church, we are not considered to be authentically Catholic. It's not our job to prove it. We do our business, we do our theology, we teach our history, we, we do our catechesis with our young people, we tell our stories, we honor our ancestors, and we pray uh, for the intercession of the saints. We attend mass, we participate fully consciously and actively after this pandemic is back. We're gonna have to figure out how to do that. 
but uh, we've got to live our lives fully as God created us. And the church has to do the work. The church has to do the hard work of reconciling itself to the fact that it is established on white supremacy. Whiteness is considered to be the standard for Catholic life, for Catholic music, for Catholic prayer, for uh, Catholic leadership. And we're saying, no, no. And our claim that uh, Black Lives Matter is a claim that opens the door to all others who are on the margins for whatever reason, because the church has not lived up to its creed to be one holy Catholic and apostolic. We, our gift right now at this time is to challenge the church, to push the church to be what it is meant to be, to reach out, in reconciliation, to repair damage that has been done, to confront honestly the wrongs of the past, and to figure out how can we fix it, which means taking ourselves from a, a high position in the dominant culture to bringing ourselves to where we belong as brothers and sisters, equal in the sight of God, equal in ministry with Christ. Ms. Lene, you wanna, before we take questions, let me give you some space. Yes, I've been talking oh, to yeah. you. <laughs> wow, you got me all wrong. <laughs> oh no, this is why you're my seed of wisdom. Thank you so much, Dr. Kathleen. Much to chew on, much to chew on, but not impossible. I always walk into this sense of of wanting to make sure that it wasn't just one time something was said. It appears that all through the 20th century, we have been charged by time after time, we have been charged to have our gifts shared. Blessed Pope John Paul II, when he went to New Orleans, I think it was in 87, the same mission was given to the church, to share your gifts. We are in need of your gifts. What is a gift? A gift is something that's given out of love. A gift is something that's given out of compassion and care. A gift once received from someone given to another indicates that that person or that entity will take care of and help to, to make that gift a part of their life. And that has been the issue that we have had. We've given our gift. And time after time, the gift has been said, not in this house, <laughs> not in this space. And that is not a negative connotation that I'm saying. It's just a reality. The whole truth of, of this and the purpose of all that we do is walking in truth. Because we do have our Catholic faith and our Catholicity is important. I come from a background that was not, I chose the Catholic faith and would I ever leave the Catholic faith that I so love, that is dear to my heart? No. But do I expect all of me to be received by a church that I so love? Oh yes, my yes. And I particularly believe it even more strongly 
Because if we're going to sing, there's a song that I know we all know, and I, I love this song because I love the text that it is. When Marty Haugen uses in one of his songs, we are many gifts, we are all one body, and the gifts we have, we are given to share. We're not given to hold on to them, but we're given to share. May the spirit of, of God that makes us one, it is all about our unity, but how can we sing our songs in a foreign land that will not accept our gifts? The conversation is an ongoing conversation. The conversation is a hopeful conversation. The conversation is an unending conversation. The conversation comes out of a result of us being charged, us being called, us being given the, I don't want to say just permission because you're, permit, you're permitted to just do what you do to share your love with, with your brother and sister. But the charge most definitely and commission that we have to share our gifts with the church. What is the step of making this journey a quest? And I likened it to a quest. You must be learned. You must understand what a culture, whether it be the African-American culture, whether it be the Vietnamese culture, whether it be the Filipino culture, every culture has a spirituality. And every culture with that spirituality deserves the time that it takes to understand that, that, that particular culture. It requires reading. It requires knowing the documents that speak so well about evangelization. It requires you knowing the knowledge base of understanding because gospel music is not just gospel music. It is, it is our essence. It comes out of a spirit of oppression. It comes out of an ancestral line of our ancestors who were not allowed to, to share their gifts, but had to go into the hush harbors and steal away and had to use the spirituals that we love so much to hush away and to use those as a, as a solace for our heart, as a balm in Gilead for our heart. Knowing where the blackness in our heart resides means knowing the culture, knowing and understanding that deep sense of God's love and God's presence and acknowledgement of God's presence. Knowing that means that you understand the culture. Knowing that means that when the gift is given, the gift is given with an open hand, and ready to go to an open heart, not a judgment, not a judgment heart, not a judgmental heart, but certainly a heart that is open to receiving, to learning, to understanding, to, to making sure that that gift is a part and another layer of a spirituality that could certainly lead you to a better understanding and relationship with God. Because at the end of the day, we all have the same mission our mission of loving one another as Christ loves us, a mission as being one, serving one God, serving one spirit, having one spirit, a mission that says that, yeah, we may come from different backgrounds, but at the end of the day, we sit at the table of the Lord, which is to be unified, not a table that's divided, but a table that's unified. Is it possible? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Now, I'd like uh, Dr. Kathleen, if she could share on her screen some of the resources that might help in this journey or this quest to understanding. She has a wonderful list of, of, of documents and books that would open this understanding. 
So one of the things, I, I, I've really been blessed. I've, I've come to you today from the Institute for Black Catholic Studies at Xavier University in Louisiana, in New Orleans. And uh, it was there, I, and uh, as a 30-year-old, I went to the Institute on the suggestion of my pastor, who said, you have liturgy in your bones, but you need the, the, the theory, you need the theology. And so 1998 was my first year and I went 25 years straight because there was so much for me to learn about my faith in the context of my culture. And I'm still learning, I'm still learning. This year I started the first year as the director of the Institute and for the first time after 41 years, we are online, which is extremely challenging. But having been exposed to my faith, to be taught by Black Catholics, to be taught by uh, Black religious, Black theologians, Black historians, uh, gave me such a good sense of identity, Catholic identity and uh, Black identity. So what it has done, uh, you can hear a difference in spirit between this gray and myself, I need her hopefulness. I need her hopefulness because uh, having worked in the church and been uh, rejected because uh, you're a little too strong, a little too black, uh, this Afrocentricity stuff, we don't, that doesn't, we don't have any place for that here. Thank God, I have now found a place where the Lord can use me and one of the ways that I take what I have been given is to develop a resource list, which I share whenever I do presentations. I do a resource list because what I'm giving is not nearly enough to pass on the faith, to evangelize to others. And so what I like to do is to make a list of resources and to leave that list with those people who are in, in attendance. And so I made a resource list for our discussion today and uh, I would also encourage anyone who presents uh, in, in, uh, in terms of uh, Black Catholicism to develop your own resource list. Those, you're going to have some of the same things I have on here because these are not my ideas. These are gifts of the church, gifts to the church from the Black community. So you'll see on here, for example, um, um, let me see. Oh, I can't control it, huh? Oh, okay. So you'll see uh, the African-American Catholic Youth Bible, which was developed in 2015, which takes the Bible and, and presents it in a format that young people can, can appreciate. That's a resource that anybody that works with young people or every family should have on their shelves. You see Angel, uh, Maya Angelou, she may not be a black Catholic, but her gifts have enriched the lives of Black Catholics, the thought, the spirituality, the self-understanding of Black Catholics. And of course, in the Lead Me, Guide Me hymnal, the essay, The Gift of African-American Sacred Song is a standard that anyone in church music ought to read and ought to uh, appreciate uh, for its depth of understanding and its presentation of African-American sacred song. Bishop Braxton is a bishop 
who has written on race in many, many documents. And I like, I don't always agree with everything Bishop Braxton says, and you, nobody agrees with everybody that's on their resource list, but he presents ideas strongly and he presents it in language that people can understand. And he often does a study guide so that you take it from your individual reading and can use it in community. We are communitarian people, Ms. Lene reminded us. Uh, Kelly Brown Douglas, another theologian who uh, talks about black bodies and the justice of God. Father Joseph Brown, who is here at this conference, uh, has contributed, he contributes, oh gosh, Father Brown is such a gifted artist, a gifted preacher, a gifted liturgist, and he has uh, to stand on the rock, meditations on black Catholic identity and with Bishop, now Bishop Fernand Cherie, sweet, sweet spirit, prayer services from the black Catholic church. These are resources, not just for black Catholics. They are given in the spirit of um, collegiality to the entire church. So we have African-Americans in the Bible. Uh, uh, one of our premier uh, black theologians, one of our premier theologians, period, uh, M. Sean Copeland uh, has talked across and written across black religious experience, black Catholic religious experience. Very spiritual, very spiritual. And uh, her works, her works are very deep. And uh, they take us to a different understanding of ourselves as God's own. And of course, the standard, uh, Father Cyprian Davis with the history of black Catholics in the United States. Uh, all Catholics uh, should have access to this because the history that we have, that we publish now as Catholic history does not contain the history of all its peoples, all the US peoples who have contributed to the Catholic Church. It does not include the lives, the stories of Black Catholics in the United States. And Father Cyprian has opened it up, has gone to Rome and done the research for us. He's crossed over now to the other side. He's an ancestor, but his work still stands as a, as a fundamental way of entering into the story of Black Catholics in the United States. And I mentioned, of course, the joy of the gospel, um, Pope Francis's uh, apostolic exhortation. It's a beautiful work that applies across the board, no matter who reads it, they should see themselves in what Pope Francis is calling us to in terms of the joy of the gospel. We have the wisdom of the elders. Elders, our worldview as black people is circular. And so when we think of family, we think of newborn, we think of the, the full-bodied, we think of elders, we think of ancestors, all connected. We're all connected as well as those who are yet to come. We live so that those who have yet to come have a world in which they can flourish. Um, now I put the Institute for Black Catholic Studies at Xavier University of Louisiana. So if you'd like more information about the program, there's a website. But the 1619 Project opened up for us. I mean, just smacked us in the face about what we do not know about 
uh, African-American history period. So I certainly re uh, recommend that. And Ron Harbor, one of our, uh, our esteemed liturgists and uh, Catholic musicians, uh, has a work in Let It Shine by Mary McGann. Diana Hayes, another theologian that's very much beloved by the people. Uh, there's works there. And then uh, Miss Lene also referred us to the 1984 pastoral, What We Have Seen and Heard from the Black Bishops of the United States. That is a fundamental piece that every Black Catholic needs because they begin to lay out for us the gifts that we share. We, we live our gifts, we give our gifts, but oftentimes we can't articulate what those gifts are. And, and in this document, we have the wisdom of our 10 black bishops who have pointed out to us, these are our gifts, these are our call. This is our call. We have Brian Massengale, who is an ethicist, a Catholic, black Catholic ethicist. Uh, and, and he just says it like it is. Uh, many people have trouble with him because he confronts, he confronts the church in ways that most people cannot. And he does it in honesty and in, in, in integrity. His works are highly recommended. Sister, my sister, Dr. Cecilia Moore is a Catholic historian who uh, is carrying on in the tradition of Father Cyprian. This work here, the resources on theology, racism, and justice from the Theology and Ministry Library, it, I just found it yesterday, but it has a list as well of resources that talk about what's happening today. And then uh, as we go through, there are other resources here. Sister Jamie Phelps, The Challenging Gift of Black Folk. Uh, Sister Jamie was, is my uh, professor and she was my boss at the Institute, uh, one of the smartest women, one of the most uh, Black Catholic women that I know. She's given a lot of her life away for uh, the Institute for Black Catholic Studies, not able really to, to write and do the things that she wanted to do, but in the way that is Black and Catholic, she attended to the call, she listened to the call of the community and did what the community asked her to do her works are very important. And you'll see the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops have a list of resources. Um, Father Elachuku Uzuku does worship as body language, introduction to Christian worship and African orientation. We, we as Africans and African-Americans have got to reconnect. The dominant culture divides us. We've got to do the work of coming together. And then finally, uh, another sister, a colleague, C. Vanessa White, has written on several, several topics, but here she contributes to the document Amoris Laetitia. So these are just a snapshot of gifts that have been given to the Catholic Church. And I like this because it gives you the names of people to look up on the internet, to make yourself familiar with. And again, I encourage all of us who are doing presentations to make our own list, to share with those uh, to whom we present some of the uh, Black Catholic uh, resources that will help people to know our gifts, 
and to appreciate and include our gifts in the life of the church. Thank you. This, oh, this, thank you so much, Dr. Kathleen. I want to call you Sister Kathleen. Yes, uh, we have two, uh, three of our bestowed co wonderful colleagues on. I know that there may be some questions, but uh, if there are in, in, any thoughts that um, Roger Holland can offer or Valerie Jeter or Dr. Kim Harris, please, uh, please offer them. Well, thank you so much, uh, Lene and Dr. Kathleen. I've been enjoying i love that resource list <laughs> because it you know continue you know that the list continues to grow i was i was here writing it down even though i have it on my computer already so and just so everyone knows that the resources the ones from last night and the ones from tonight and the ones that uh, roger holland will have for us tomorrow they will all be attached to these sessions so you can go back watch the sessions again and find all these resources that we're speaking about. And, and the only thing I want to say, and you know, everybody's heard me say this before, when people say that spirituals are not Catholic, that spirituals are, you know, Black Protestant music, well, I refer them to, you know, the first uh, real gathering of spirituals. Uh, the text is slave songs of the united states and there in that 1867 volume sitting right up there in the middle is hail mary hail so you know <laughs> that that was uh written by and well used by black catholic soldiers in the civil war but also thinking about the people that were brought over from the kingdom of the congo brought to catholicism with them and based their rebellion, the Stono Rebellion, as they sang in honor of Mary and sang about freedom, working for their own freedom. So we have been a part of this for a long time and the spirituals, you know, have us, as, as we would say, we, we are all up in the spirituals, but people haven't spoken about that so much. So, but thanks so much. And uh, I know I see uh, Roger and Valerie, yes. Any final words of you know what, I have a burning question, if I may. Yes. And I want to preface it and put it in context in this manner. As as we were, as you ladies were presenting, and I'm looking at the people on my screen right now that are gathered, I see five women and one male. <laughs> which is an interesting dynamic. And in listening to your question, and I'm going to get to my question in a minute that I'm hoping that we have just a few moments to kind of tease out. I thought about the issue of patriarchy and identity. Dr. Bella, you talked about, and, and you did as well, Lene, you talked about Catholic identity uh, more broadly and specifically even Black Catholic identity. But uh, imagine, if you will, and this even highlights it for me, this notion of male identity uh, and uh, masculinity and hyper-masculinity and its toxicity, how men identify themselves. What are the things that men and people in the society identify with manhood, you know, which is strength and aggressiveness, uh, being the provider. I recently watched a little uh, uh, a movie on fatherhood that came out on Father's Day, 
and it was on Apple Plus TV, you know, here in this age of the pandemic, we're watching all these things and binging on things. But one of the things that came out in that movie was how people were reframing the role of fatherhood. Some of the fathers were stay-at-home fathers, you know, and what does that mean as opposed to the role that's traditionally assigned to the woman to be the, the person that, 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 that is the homemaker, the person that keeps the home in order. And so let's bring this to our Catholic church. One of the things that came up for me in your discussion today was Catholic identity. And one of the challenges to blackness in the Catholic church is how the Catholic church identifies itself through this Eurocentric lens. And so many people are so tied to the Eurocentric view of Catholicism, that for them is Catholic identity. And if it's not rooted in Eurocentrism, then it's not Catholic. So I'm wondering if you can unpack that a little bit and specifically how can we help these people that are so tied, so invested into this sense of Catholic identity as being Eurocentric. And if it's not Eurocentric, if it's not monocentric in Eurocentrism, how can we be Catholic? Mm. Well, you know, um, hmm. you don't ask any easy questions, do you? <laughs> well, you know, we have, we have in our church the um, Knights of Peter Claver, who represent for us a Black Catholic identity. But I find it a big challenge because our Catholic faith is oftentimes seen as weak in the Black community. We did not stand up for civil rights. Our documents are not strong. When, we, when our bishops speak out there, they are very pious and, and very quiet as they speak. And so there is something there to me that does not call on the strength of Black men uh, who are natural protectors, who are, I think, natural evangelizers just in the way that they live their lives. Many of them don't go around talking about Jesus, but as you watch their lives and you see the things that they invest themselves in, uh, you, you can see Christ at work. But in our church structures, that's not really um, prize. That's not really valued. We, uh, we just one of the one of the things that comes to my mind is the number of Black Catholic priests who we have lost in the last year. Young people, young Black men who have given their lives to the church, who have died. There's something wrong in our system when these men who have gone through seminary with everyone else are dying so young, are dying so young. It means to me that uh, in our Catholic system that we have to, when we look at Black Lives Mattering, that Black Lives Matter, we have got to structure ourselves. The church has got to structure itself in a way that accepts Black men for who they are without expecting them to be superhuman. Many of our priests have entirely too many responsibilities trying to be priests 
trying to be black priests, trying to, uh, as people want, we want bishops. We want bishops because we're, we're losing our bishops. There's so much, so much pressure on them to succeed in ways that, um, that are particularly stressful. Sometimes as women, we, we add to, to the stress. I, I watch in church, you know, when the men are the ushers, they come Sunday all dressed up and they do their ushering responsibilities. And then women join the ushers. And then the women are like, oh, well, we're going to wear gray blazers and then we're going to wear pink shirts. And the guys are like, I don't have a, that kind of, I don't have that. And so we bring our femininity in and the men say, well, guess what? You can have it. And so we lose ourselves in a church that um, does not appreciate black male, um, the black male period, the black male period. It's, it's one of, to me, one of the biggest challenges. In Catholic schools, the, who was, the boys were always in trouble. The boys were always in trouble because they didn't sit still, they bang their, they drum their pencils on the desk. They did all kinds of things that boys do, but it did not fit those standards, Catholic standards that we somehow have imposed upon ourselves to be quiet and to be uh, to be very standard. Um, it's a it's a big challenge. It's a big challenge. You know, Dr. Bello, um, I I probably muddied the waters with my with my example of masculinity as identity but I think my what the question I was really trying to get at is one that ties to Lene's question about or, or her point about our gift of blackness to the church yeah. and I guess what I probably did not clearly uh, uh, state is that I think there's a resistance to those in the church that see the church's identity based in Eurocentrism so how can we help those who are so ensconced in Catholic identity as being Eurocentric, how can we help them to open and reframe that identity as Eurocentric that allows for the gift of blackness to have a space at the table? Are you talking about white people? Yes, ma'am. Oh, the, I the gatekeepers, that. the gatekeepers who, who say that blackness doesn't belong in the church. That's, that's their work. That's their work. I think if we try to fix for them and to explain to them and to teach them how not to be who they, who they have been, that's a difficult job. We, we're trying to be ourselves in the church. And so what we do, you present from, from your perspective. In some way, it affirms what they believe about the church, and hopefully sometimes it's going to challenge what they think about the church. And it's that challenge that then they have to go home with. And if they're honest, they're going to say, ooh, that really, that, I had to say, ouch, when, when Roger brought that point up, because that is something that happens in our church that does not allow us to welcome people. But for myself, I, I believe that Black Catholics have to, um, we have to grow in our faith, develop in our faith, evangelize, catechize, but I don't see that as my work as, of convincing white people how to be more Christian. Christ and the Holy Spirit have got to change hearts. 
I don't think my rhetoric is going to be strong enough to, to do that. So I'm not going to put my energy there. I'm going to put my energy in working with my people. But there are Black Catholics who are interested in crossing over, in doing that work. And so those people need to be affirmed, and those people need to be given the resources and the opportunities to walk, to work across cultures to do that work. Yeah, Valerie, I, I, I know we're about to finish, but I, Valerie, I know she's like, I got to say this. <laughs> I was just going to say that. I want to make sure we hear from Valerie. Go ahead. Well, I, I was, the whole time I've been thinking that part of that opening up is to take the blinders off. If people's language could go from Eurocentric to be Eurocentric and Afrocentric, like the acknowledgement that it's a whole different thought process. And, and the reason it comes to mind is because you know, I also teach high school. Teaching high, ninth graders, Old Testament, it's a whole new world unto itself. But the first question is, no, Jesus cannot be blonde hair and blue eyes, okay? That's the interpretation from the Europeans that made the first pictures, okay? And they're smart enough to know, well, we're from Jerusalem, he'd at least have to have a tan, okay? So right then, you're opening up the possibilities like, Okay, there's another side to this, okay? That those blinders, those Eurocentric blinders that the entire, our Catholic Church as we know it, have been taught, okay, has taken over, and that's what we need to break down. And to get people to recognize there's Eurocentric, but there's a beautiful Afrocentricity. And just to get that language into people, okay, that's an opening up. That's what I've been dying to say. And I realized with the time that we're shortened, I thank you all so much. Roger, you know, I, I, I thank you for, for, for even posing that question. I see it as, I see the right as being something that's been around for thousands of years. And I see, I always think of tapestry. I don't know what it is about the thing about the tapestry. That tapestry needs to always be multicultural because it has, if, if you're walking the mission of the church and you say you're universal, then you have to stick to your mission. Your mission is universality. That means everybody welcome and everybody's culture is welcome and everybody's way of spirituality is welcome. Universality, that's just what that means. And I do understand how do we break through that? Well, it's constantly, the right is, is given to us. You have the, the rubrics, you got the instructions. Everything. What we do to enhance and make that tapestry reflect what the church is, is what is an ongoing challenge and an ongoing mission of the church. We have to work towards that mission of universality at all costs, at all costs. We are many parts. We are all one body. We are different gifts. The gifts that we have are to be shared. And we have been given that. Still we rise. It is important that that work be done. It is important that we continue to, to forge forth to do the work. So I thank, I know the time is, is time. Um, I thank, thank you all so much. This is an ongoing conversation. This is one of those to be continued. But I, I hope that as we leave here, we are left really pondering on what uh, Sister Thea Bowman, may her soul rest in peace, told to shared with us. She brings her whole history, her traditions, experience, culture, African-American song, everything that is a part of who and who she is in the, in the black skin that she has as gifts to the church. And so let us respect the gifts, let us 
acknowledge the gifts. Let us receive the gifts. We pray that that is the prayer for the church. Receive it. We give it with open arms. We give it without a judgment to be made. And we give it as a gift that we have been charged to give as a universal gift to the church. Amen. That's one of us. Let the church say amen. Amen. recording, our presenters reference Sister Thea Bowman's address to the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. I'm proud to announce that in honor of Black Catholic History Month in November, we will be replaying that address to the USCCB. So stay tuned in November here on Ministry Monday for that episode. The recording of Father, I Stretch My Hands to Thee was produced by GIA Publications. Our theme music was written and produced by Aaron Schaus. Today's episode of Ministry Monday was produced by me, Amanda Bruce. That's it for today. With the Spirit's gifts empowering us for the work of ministry, thanks for listening. Have a great week, and we'll see you back here next Monday. Yeah.